Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast. This is a recording that I did on Instagram. And then I thought, in fact, the end of this will be a recording that I do on Instagram. I'll just clip it in there. And then I thought I would answer as many Commit to Six questions as I possibly can before I maybe half fall asleep. So to caveat this, I did have two launches this weekend and I decided at about, what time did I start? Maybe like two in the morning last night that I just wasn't going to get my flight back to Edinburgh. I was just going to stay in London for the week. So that's what I'm doing. Um, do you know, do you want to know how much of a refund I got? I actually can't remember what the flight was, but I'm pretty sure it was more than this. But they were like, great, we can refund you. £7.51. £7.51. And you know, whenever that happens, like you get like a little, little bit of money or something. I'm like, I need to do something with this £7.51. Like, I'm not just gonna, I know that all money is kind of, I guess the same. I'm, I'm, I'm siphoning that off to do something very special with it. I haven't decided what yet, but I'm very excited about it. I need to just take my time to come up with a good idea. Okay, I'm gonna start with Katie's question. What difference does not pushing yourself to failure or achieving progressive overload make? Last week, I had a frustrating couple of gym sessions where the gym was so busy I couldn't get hold of heavier weights and another where I was really fatigued and I just couldn't push myself. What happens to your body in these kind of sessions? Are they pointless or are they at least stimulating some muscle? Not sure if that makes sense, but I guess I just... But I guess I can't have an awesome session every time, but I'd like to not be disheartened if I have a mundane session. One, you are absolutely right that you cannot have an awesome session every time. And by the way, progressive overload people get wrong. It's not always progressing in every single session that you do because as soon as you become even a little bit experienced in lifting, you'll realise that doesn't happen. You know, and I certainly don't progress in every session. And it's very, very hard to do that, if not impossible, when you get past a certain point. Progressive overload is like over time. You can even think of it as like your weekly volume. Is that increasing over time? And hey, even within that, there'll be some weeks where it doesn't increase over time. So is it a waste of time? Absolutely not. Like there are so many benefits to exercise, even if you weren't building muscle. So one, maintaining muscle is like way easier than building muscle. Two, you have these immediate effects of stimulating muscle mass, right? So things like increased insulin sensitivity. That will stay elevated in a healthy individual for about 48 hours after resistance training, which means that you are better at handling glucose for 48 hours after resistance training. That has nothing to do with progressive overload. That has just something to do with the stimulation of that muscle. So actually, if you want to get nerdy, it has something to do with the increased translocation of GLUT4 to the cell surface, making it easier to clear blood glucose from the, from the blood, which is why I'm so passionate about the importance of exercise in general, because that happens with all exercise, not just resistance training. But resistance training is especially important because if you have more muscle, you have more capacity to safely store glucose. But I'm so passionate about explaining the importance of that for your metabolic health especially if you're pre-diabetic or diabetic. 
Like, I think we focus so much on diet and not enough on exercise when it comes to that. Um, gone on a bit of a tangent there, but back to your question, it is absolutely worth doing the mundane sessions. Like, something is always better than nothing. And as an example of this, I've had an insanely busy week and other life stresses and life demands, which, to be honest, have just been way more important than getting in a long gym session. So my sessions have been max. I mean, I did a session today and I and you remember this because I was voice noting Amelia on the way in and then voice noting her on the way out again. So I could see exactly how long it was. 12 minutes. And do you know what I did in those 12 minutes? I managed to do 10 pull-ups, 10 lunges, 10 press-ups and 10 hanging leg raises. And I did a round of 10, a round of eight, a round of six, a round of four, which meant I basically didn't have to have any recovery in between. And that was it. That was it for the day, right? But that's more than enough to stimulate muscle. It's enough to help me concentrate. It's enough to help me feel good. And it's enough to maintain where I'm at at the moment. Will I be building anything off doing that? No, but it is miles and miles and miles better than doing nothing. So you will have sessions that aren't amazing. And that's okay. Long, long-winded answer to that very simple question. Okay, Vicky, mindset. I have started in a positive mindset and I really want to achieve my goals, but I know in the past I can talk myself out of things or make excuses for myself to myself. If not there, and sorry, I'm not there yet, and perhaps I won't be, but any tips on when that positive mindset slips and how to turn it around. This is kind of similar to the previous question of like, you won't always have a positive mindset. You won't always be motivated. You won't always have the days where you're like, I feel great about this. I really want to reach my goals. I'm so highly motivated. It's not realistic. And this does often happen at the start. So I'm pretty sure this came from Shane Parrish. Um, But the quote is something like, motivation and excitement get you going, but discipline keeps you going it's actually probably way more eloquent than than how I've just butchered that quote but the premise is most people start things pretty excited pretty engaged pretty up for doing stuff and the first couple of weeks they feel great and then that motivation kind of drops and then they struggle right and that's where discipline comes in like doing the stuff that you know you need to do even when you don't feel like doing it you will never achieve anything spectacular or even just impressive in life without that and in fact that's what makes it impressive is that you've had to work hard you've had to get up on the days you don't really want to get up and get a gym session in one of my one-to-ones becky messaged me this week being like i got i I managed to get myself to the gym today but i really didn't want to go and actually then i ended up lifting four pbs which again won't always happen but the point is, like, those sessions, even if you haven't lifted any PBs, right, even if you've been like, I went in, I did half a session, those are the sessions that matter. The days that you're really motivated and you really want to go, they're great, but they're not realistic to expect all the time. You know, much like it's not realistic to expect to lift a PB every single session or to feel amazing every single session, most of your sessions won't feel like that. Most of the time, you won't be really, really highly motivated, but you have to get it done anyway. And I think it's accepting that. That's the key. It's it's not like, I'll only do it when I'm motivated. It's like, I will do it irrespective of whether I'm motivated or not. And this is why we have range targets for the days where you're like, 
I really can't be bothered, but I've told myself I've got this non-negotiable. That is a promise that I've made to myself and that is my own personal standard. Like I'm about to go out in a cold, wet, windy, rainy day because I spent most of the day sat on my ass on the laptop and I've not hit my minimum steps. So I'm going to go out and do them. Do I really want to do it? Am I really highly motivated? No, but I'm going to get it done. I'm not going to overthink it. I'm not going to try and figure out a way in my head to, oh, I could do more tomorrow or, you know, it's raining or maybe my, you know, maybe no one will know. It's just me. But like, those are standards that I hold of myself and nobody else cares, really. You know, you're choosing to do this. This is a choice. I'm like, we're not forcing you to do anything. We've set you these targets because you've told us that you have a goal and you want to get there. This is how you get there. So don't see it as a negative thing. Don't see it as like, I am forcing myself to do this. You get to do this because you want that outcome. And that mindset, the way that you frame these things is so important because the same actions can feel really restrictive if you're telling yourself that you have to do it or really empowering if you're telling yourself that you get to do it, you know? Like saying no to something, you can either think, I can't have pizza, I'm on a diet. Or you could think, I'm choosing not to have pizza and I'm going to have this chicken dish instead because it's more in line with my goals. And actually saying no to that is saying yes to my goals. It's the same action, but a completely different perspective behind it. The other thing I would say is don't talk yourself into a negative mindset. Don't be like, oh, this always happens every time. I'm just waiting for it to come. And then when it does come, you're like, oh, knew this would happen. Like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy a lot of the time. So the reality is you won't always be motivated. The reality is you won't always have a positive mindset about everything, but don't talk yourself into that coming. Okay, um, I would love to know if there are any tips for when your routine is going to be different for a few days. Sorry, I just needed a little drink. I find I manage really well when I can sit in a routine and there's not much change in my days. However, this week is my husband's 50th. I have a couple of days off work to make it a long weekend. We will be going out with friends. There will be food and drink and my routine will be turned upside down. It's a special occasion, so I want to be able to enjoy it, but I don't want to spoil my hard work. Any tips to manage it would be um, helpful. Thank you. So first of all, a couple of days will not ruin your hard work at all. So you can take the stress off that. Um... Secondly, and this is more general for like any tips when your routine is going to be different. One thing I do every day, and actually it took me a while to realise that I did this, but I get up and I write a plan for my day. So I've got, maybe a little bit sad, but I've got like a week plan. But then I wake up every day and I write a plan for my day. So that might be like filling in the gaps between calls, what needs done, or oh, someone cancelled this, or this moved, or I was going to do this, but now it's raining, or I was going to do this, but now... I'm not going back to Scotland, so that's changing. And, like, things will change and you have to be adaptable to them. And you'd be surprised at how versatile and adaptable you are. Like, give yourself a little bit of credit for that. You can absolutely make it work. But I would make yourself a plan every day because your 100% will look different every day. Your best will look different every day. You'll have different constraints every day. You might even wake up being like oh, you know, this happens to me quite a lot. Like, oh, I plan to go to the gym this morning and do, I don't know, a big workout, but my back's really sore. So instead I'm going to go for a bit of a walk and I'm going to see if it eases up throughout the day and maybe I'll go and try and do something later on. 
you have to adapt to what happens that day. And this is where having like a very rigid routine can trip people up. Like the people who get the best results are flexible around that. And they still have their non-negotiables. They still have the standards that they hold of themselves, but they realize that some days they'll be able to do a little bit more than other days. And that's absolutely fine. But going in with intent, instead of letting the day come at you, wake up 15 minutes earlier, make a cup of coffee, sit down and just make a little plan for your day. When am I going to fit in a workout? When am I going to get out and go for a walk? When am I going to make my lunch? Or what am I going to have for lunch? Or when do I most likely trip up? And what am I going to do in those situations? That's the kind of forward thinking that you need. And then the other benefit of just like getting up just that little bit earlier is that you're now being intentional with your day instead of letting the day kind of happen to you. And that makes such a huge difference. Like you're going in there with a focus, with an intent. It's a different, like sometimes just waking up five minutes late in the morning means that you are rushed for everything. And there's this kind of domino knock on effect. Like you turn up, you know, stressed and sweating to get your train and then you got the next train. So you're a little bit late into the office. Then you don't have time to sit down and read your email. So you're always a little bit stressed about what's going on. You've got to jump into your first meeting and your whole day is like that. And actually it's just the difference between waking up like genuinely 15 minutes earlier can change your whole day. So I would really try and do that. And I would say, you know, some people are like, I can't do that. I've got kids. I would say, especially if you've got kids, try and get up even honestly, even 15 minutes before them and just have 15 minutes to yourself so that you're ready to attack the day, but you know, you know, go in with intention. Okay. Hello. I hope everyone is good. I have a question on dumbbell workouts, please. If you are cycling through these, what is the best order? I tend to do four or five workouts a week and just work my way through the dumbbell workouts as I really enjoy them. But is it okay to do dumbbell full body one and then the next day do full body two? Thank you, lovely people. I am not going to lie off the top of my head. I can't remember how I've split these up now. Um, I would, I think it's low, upper, lower, full body, full body. In which case I would probably think about doing upper. Yeah, no, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, ideally I would have a rest day, but if you're doing four or five workouts, I'd maybe do upper, lower, full body, rest day, full body, and then repeat. That would probably be my ideal. But if I'm totally honest, it's a bit of minutia. Like it doesn't massively matter as long as you're getting the workouts in. And I know that, you know, life gets in the way. So, okay. When I check my activity levels on an app in my phone, it gives me my active calories burn and my resting calories. Is this accurate? In a word, no. I'm asking because most days I've burnt over 2000 calories. If I'm eating approximately 1600, why does my weight not alter over weeks and months? Because it's not accurate. Um, which one is more likely to be inaccurate calories burned or calories consumed or both, both. And this is a great example of being like, oh, so reality is telling me this, that I'm not losing weight, but the app is telling me that I should be losing weight. So which one's right? Well, you know, like I always use this example, but it's such a, like a good one. If I look at my weather app on my phone and it's like, it's raining outside and I look outside and it's sunny, what one are you going to believe? Like that is reality. 
someone, uh, one of my friends said this ages ago and I've used it so many times. I even put it in the IQ lecture, but he was like, your body is the best, the most accurate food diary you will ever keep. As in, it doesn't matter what an app says. If you're not losing weight over time, you're not in a deficit. That's it. Um, Julia also says, also, what is realistic rate of weight loss if behaviours are consistent each week? Again, it depends on the size of your deficit. So a, a kind of crude measure to go off for fat loss, which is not the same as weight loss. For fat loss, if you're consuming calories that would give you about a 500 calorie deficit every day and you do that every day for a week, that would equal about 3,500 calories. That equates to the amount of calories that are in about a pound of fat. This isn't exact, but it's a rough ballpark, right? So you would think, okay, well, if I'm doing that, a pound of fat a week, that will not show up on the scales because the scales don't measure directly your fat loss, right? This is why we look at trends over time. So even if you were consistently losing a pound of fat a week because you were in exactly a 500 calorie deficit a day, you still wouldn't lose a pound of fat a week on the scales because of hormonal fluctuations. And you've even said here you're on HRT because of like difference in food volume, because of when you were last went to the bathroom, because of how much salt you ate that day, because of if you went to the gym and maybe you've got some muscle damage, which has caused a bit of inflammation, or maybe you've started taking creatine, so you're storing more water, like, or maybe you're just a little bit more hydrated that day. There are so many things that will impact scale weight. So realistic weight of rate of weight loss, yeah, you're probably looking at roughly a pound a week, if you're in that kind of a deficit, but it still won't show up like that on the scales. They will still fluctuate. And then she says, I'm on HRT and medication for underactive thyroid, which does fluctuate despite medication. Will I still be able to see results? I feel like since I hit menopause, weight gain is a real struggle, which is a frustration when I've always been naturally petite and slim with no real effort to maintain. Yes, you can 100% still get results. Is it harder? Yes, but it's not it's not so much harder because physically you can't do it. It's usually harder because these symptoms are making it harder. So like as, as an example, if you are more fatigued because let's say your underactive thyroid medication isn't quite right, it's way harder to be more active. Also, your base metabolic rate will be impacted slightly. If you're not sleeping well because you're perimenopausal, then your hunger levels are going to be higher. And you might not notice that you're eating more, but it's like little snacks that just kind of creep in here and there or slightly bigger portion sizes. All these little things start to add up. Like even today, I slept horrendously last night and today I've been so hungry. Like the immediate impact of that, like it happens all the time and obviously I know it's going to happen, but it still kind of blows my mind the impact that it has. And then I think that's one night's bad sleep, right? What happens if that's continuous? It can have a huge impact. So long story short, your your watch isn't accurate. That's why we don't have you look at the, the calorie burn on it. And you will absolutely get results here. That is what we're here for. That's what we're going to support you to do. Um, and we will tweak your calories if we need to. Now, on paper, will 1,600 calories put you in a deficit? Yes, because I set those targets. In reality... It might not, 
and it's not for physiological reasons, but it's more because it's very hard to accurately track, right? So it's very easy for 1,600 calories to turn into 1,900 calories, which actually would put you around maintenance, potentially. So bear all that in mind as well. So we still might have to tweak a little bit, but you're in the right place. Okay, I am going to make this the last question and then I will come back later in the week to answer some more. So I have a question about pull-ups. I really want to do at least one before my birthday in December. I'm on a mission. I just bought a bar to use at home as I can't get to the gym. I can do a few when my arms are at right angles, but I literally can't move when my arms are fully straight and my legs are dangling. How do I make that transition? It feels impossible. So one of my favorite um, exercises to get a pull-up is under bar um, pull-ups on a squat rack. So that's not massively gonna help you. Um, I would potentially look at getting a band, although I don't love that at home because I just think sometimes it's a little bit dangerous. I mean, I'm sure you can do it without it being dangerous, but it's a bit harder. Um, I would do a lot of lat pull downs. It is, it is going to be harder that you can't get to a gym. I'm not going to lie. There's a lot more regression exercises that you can do. Um, you can do things like eccentrics. So you can kind of jump up or like get a chair near it and start at the top and then really slowly lower yourself down. Um, or you could get someone to kind of help you with the start phase, like just give you a little bit of a push up. We used to do a lot of that when we rode. Um, or if you can, and it depends what kind of pull up bar you've got, if you can have it lower so that your feet are still on the ground and then you can pull yourself up and really the aim is to use as little legs as possible. Um, but those would be my tips. And then I would practice every other day. And, and if you start getting good at them, you can pra practice every day if your body starts to recover well. Like the way that I got good at pull-ups was to do them every morning. Like more practice, you get better. I know, rocket science. It's crazy, but it works. Okay, I am now going to add the recording that I did on Instagram, which will answer the questions before this. And then I will come back and answer the other excellent questions later in the week, hopefully with one of the coaches. And hopefully you very much enjoy it. I am just about to do a client Q&A. So I thought I'll just do it live. And then if anyone has any questions about anything related to diet and exercise, they can ask here and then I can ask them, I'll answer them. Okay, right. So I'm going to start with these. But if anyone has any, just fire them in. So this one from Rachel, I've got a niggly back and it's an old issue that I thought had been resolved with an injection a few months ago, but it's flared up again slightly. I think it's mainly the squat pattern movements that bother it. Is it also, uh, no, I also actually don't really like growing my quads and I hate the shape that squats give my thighs. Can I just swap it out for um, more glute based moves? I think, yeah. If it's aggravating your back, I don't do squats and I'm still alive. So if it's aggravating your back and you don't like the results of it anyway, then I don't know. I don't really see an issue with not doing them. Um, yeah, so fine. Um, okay, Vicky, this is a good question, which I don't really have an answer to, but I'm sure I'll come up with something. How long do you think it takes to see results, as in how long does it take the body to change? I know it will depend on your start point, but is there a rough guide? 
Yes and no. Like, I think it's easy just to be like, well, it depends how... Like, I mean, partly, like, how hard you work, how much effort you actually put in. I think if you commit to something consistently for 30 days, I try and always give it that, like, no matter what the thing is we're talking about, whether it's coaches with, like, a certain marketing plan, whether it's sticking to your step target or your calorie target or all the the things that we get you to implement in coaching, like your morning routine, your workouts, your whatever is nutrition plan whether that's calories or whether you're using the three to one method stick to it for 30 days before you expect to see results now you'll probably see results before then but as you've said in here it kind of does depend both on your starting point and then how drastic that change is before you start to see results and remember that a lot of the results that you're looking for aren't physical like we spoke about this on the eiq live yesterday Someone was asking about programming around training six days a week. And they're like, I know Emma trains six days a week. And I was like, but I'm not, I'm not training for optimal hypertrophy. I'm training six days a week because I do short, sharp sessions that help me concentrate for the rest of the day and help me feel better for the rest of the day. And that actually helps me make better choices throughout the rest of the day as well. And then I show up better for all aspects of life. But if I was like, oh, I really want to optimize hypertrophy, would I be training every day? No. So you've got to like think about, you know, the best the best training mode depends on or the best approach will depend on what you're looking for, what the outcome you're looking for is. Um okay, 43 joint pain after running and weights have done both for a few years pain-free recently started HRT. Um I would definitely if you're doing a lot of um what's the right word, impact, I would try and reduce that. So maybe try running on a softer surface, even things like if you've not changed your running shoes for a period of time, maybe do that, Um, but be a bit kinder to your joints. Um, Why is exercising so much harder when it's cold? In the summer, I never felt like I needed to do a warm-up, but at the moment, my body feels so stiff. 100% agree. It is literally the temperature, though. Like, you've kind of answered that in the question. It's way easier. Like, you can just rock into the gym in the summer and start lifting weights. In the winter, you kind of need to do a bit of a warm-up. Then I find that, like, physically being warm is quite motivating. And there's nothing less motivating than being cold. Like, if I'm cold, I don't want to do anything, let alone exercise. So I think if you can break that down in your head into, right, I'm just going to do a warm-up. I'm just going to get a little bit sweaty on the cross-trainer. Then by the time you do that, you kind of have the motivation to do a little bit more. Um, mm, mm, mm. oh, it said there was a question there, but I can't see it. Uh, got some PBs today. That's excellent news. Okay, next question. I enjoy intermittent fasting and I usually eat two meals and I've decided adding in a protein yogurt snack in to hit my protein goals. Great. My usual routine is not to eat for 12 to 16 hours. I'm keen to try 17 plus and even a 24 hour thought, uh, fast. What are your thoughts on this um, as it would impact my protein goal for that day? My thoughts are kind of back to what I was just talking about. What What's the point of it? Like, what what's the benefit of doing that? Because if you're just like, oh, I did 12 hours. I wonder if I could do 16. Oh, I did six. maybe I could do 24. Like, why are you doing it? And then I would kind of give a, a better answer. If, you're, if your goal is fat loss or optimising body composition, this is a bad idea, like an actively bad idea. But back to my point about 
why I train every day, or at least six days a week. Um, it might not necessarily be that you're doing that for fat loss, and hey, maybe it makes you feel amazing. Some people report that they really enjoy fasting for other reasons. I'd say a 24-hour fast is quite a silly thing to do for most people, but I'm always open to inter- to like why people are doing it before I give any um, opinion on it. Uh, hi, Emma, can women be low in testosterone? Yes, they can. Um, what, is accountability, what is Christmas accountability? It's accountability Christmas. It is our shortest EC method round. So this is the cheapest that you'll ever be- get to be coached by me and by Chloe. Um, and it's basically to keep people on track around the Christmas period and prove to people that you can get results without giving up your life while doing all you know the Christmas things if you choose to, or some people's goal is just to maintain, some people's goal is to build muscle, some people's goal is to lose fat, but it's basically a group full of women who are like, I don't want to start 2024 feeling like crap, I want to get my shit together now and feel my best going into next year, and I kind of want it all, like I also want to enjoy Christmas and spend time with my family, and that is exactly who it's for, plus whatever Christmas looks like for you, I mean like not shock, Not everybody celebrates Christmas. I know. Crazy. Um, Okay. Answered that. Answered that. Um, mm, 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 mm. Okay. I haven't read this one, so I'm hoping that it's appropriate for the live. Uh, For people who have had a long history of issues around food, overeating but not diseases such as bulimia. Do you think that we can get to the point where we spend less time thinking about food? I've been spending a lot of time figuring out how to eat healthy and how to combat the bad um, habits. I guess the question is, does it get easier? I understand maintenance is always going to be work, but it just seems daunting sometimes. Maybe I should think about food the way I think about taking the stairs at work. There's always a small voice in my head that says, get the elevator, but I just don't listen to it 99% of the time. The voice about, around food in my head is much louder. Great question. And yes, it does get easier. A really good example of this is a lot of the time your behaviours around food have just become habits. And when you think of it of that and then as a habit that you're going to break and build a new habit, then the whole point in habits is that they become... I think it's unrealistic to think that they become completely like there's no um what's the right word that I'm looking for work required to do them like it might be habitual that I go to the gym most days but it doesn't mean that there's no effort to get there whatsoever right it's not like I just oh didn't even realize I'd already done a workout like it doesn't become completely effortless but it becomes a hell of a lot less effort and Um, I think the same is true with your food choices, right? So if you're someone who consistently overeats in the evening and that's become a bit of a habit for you, that doesn't mean that you'll always do that. And it doesn't mean that it will always feel as hard as that first week where you're trying to break that habit. And my favourite analogy for this is that you have these neural networks in your brain where in the evening, if you're someone who consistently overeats in the evening and that's become a habit... Your go-to is just going to be sit in front of the TV and eat crisps, whatever it is. You need to rewire that, right? And the first few times that you try and do that, you'll be really, like, using a bit of willpower. You'll be tempted to eat the crisps. There'll be quite a lot of work required for it. 
But the more that you do that, you start to build this new wiring in your head of like, I don't just go for the crisps after dinner. And I think it was, I can't remember who came up with this, but I slightly changed the analogy anyway. But it's a bit like if you're walking through a field of wheat and you always walk the same path, right? As in from the kitchen to the couch with a box of Pringles, that becomes very well trodden. So it's easier just to take that path because you've walked over all the wheat, right? There's a gap in the field. Now, if you want to take a new path, the first couple of times it's way harder because you have to tread down that path, right? But as you do that more and more, you start to build this trodden path that you can walk on that's much easier. And the path that you're not going on anymore, the wheat starts to grow again, right? So it's way easier not to take that path. And that's basically how... That's exactly the science behind how habits work. But it's just an easy way to think about it. Like, it will be hard initially, but kind of back to the 30-day thing, I honestly think if you stick to these things for 30 days, it becomes way easier. And I've had so many clients that used to overeat in the evening, and now they're like, do you know what? Just I just stuck to a week of having a cup of tea and then being like, I'm not eating for the rest of the night. Because that tends to be where people go wrong. Like, they do really well during the day, they have a nice healthy meal, and then it's like the snacking after their meal in the evening that tends to be the problem. And if you can deal with that then you end up getting excellent results but the first couple of days or the first week are pretty hard and it does become easier same with like constantly thinking about food yeah it takes a little bit of time like you're learning something new you're learning how to eat in a different way but over time that becomes a lot easier like think about how much you had to think about every single gear movement and what your foot was doing on the clutch and like hand signal maneuver whatever it is when you first started learning to drive and now you get places I mean this is slightly worrying but you get places and you're like I don't even really remember turning on the car and then magically I'm here because it does become easier and it becomes almost like automatic um night shift work 6 p.m to 7 a.m should I eat while awake as if it's day or adjust gain 20 pounds on the same eating habits, is it possible with circadian rhythm working against me? No, there's no way that you can gain 20 pounds unless you're eating significantly more. But shift work is extremely hard. Now, there's nothing that can happen. Like shift work can impact your insulin sensitivity. It can obviously impact your circadian rhythm and it has knock-on effects, but it cannot make you store calories that you've not consumed. So the way that this is impacting you is that it's making you eat more whether that means that you're eating at night on shift and then you're eating on the, in the day as well, and then maybe you're more hungry, which means that your hunger levels are higher because we know if your sleep is interrupted, then hunger levels increase. The reason that I'm so pedantic about that, of it's because you're eating more, isn't to be like, it's your fault, just go and change it. It is significantly harder when you're a shift worker and you might need more support. But if I tell you, oh, there's nothing you can do, it's your circadian rhythm then what? Either you change career or you just accept and then you give up and then it come, becomes this self-fulfilling prophecy of, oh, look, yeah, well, I did gain weight because I'm a shift worker. It, like, we work with tons of shift workers. It's absolutely not inevitable that you gain weight. So there is something you can do about it. We just need to make sure that we're thinking about how you're eating around your shift, making sure you're fueling yourself during your shift, but also making sure that you still hit your numbers on average over the week. And that kind of comes with a little bit of trial and error of what does and doesn't work for you. I can see that people are asking questions in that little box, but I actually can't see them. So 
I'm sorry about that. Um, also, I don't know who Julie Baker is, but I'm probably not going to accept your request to join, even though it's coming up like every 30 seconds. Um, okay, great question. <clears throat> okay, next one. Hello, I listen to your podcast all the time and take on board all the wonderful information. I'm Perry Many. Quite like that little abbreviation. Uh, I'm trying to shift eight kilograms. I'm five foot four. How do I stay motivated as a smaller woman who needs to lose the weight and has done, uh, has done and is doing what she can? What I struggle with is motivation when I do go to the gym and I do get steps in and I do tick the boxes, which I've also been doing for months and months, but still seeing nothing. I almost wish I was the, on the other end of the spectrum where I had lots of fat to lose and struggled with steps, etc. Um, as results seem to happen quicker. Um, when you're in that middle ground, how do you stay motivated? P.S. I've heard you talk about smaller women and behaviours of perimenopause that cause weight gain. Guests just need some advice. Thank you as always. This is, so I think a lot of people get stuck in this position of they're trying really hard and they're not getting results, but they're eating around maintenance and that's the problem. And it can feel really hard to eat around maintenance, especially because so much of this is psychological if you're telling yourself it's hard, right? Like your, your body can't, or more to the point, like how hard it is and your motivation levels can't tell if you're in a deficit or not. So sometimes people are putting in a ton of work, but they're actually not in a deficit. And when you make a few diet tweaks, it doesn't feel like much harder work, but you actually get results and that's what keeps you motivated. So I would have a little closer look at your, your diet because realistically, if you have ticked all the boxes and sucked to everything, um, and you were in deficit, then you would be seeing results and you would be losing weight. So there's always a few considerations here of, you know, like whether you have realistic expectations of how long this is going to take. But given here that you've said, I've been doing this for months and months and I'm not seeing the results I want to see, then you've got to think, right, what needs to be changed here? Because if you keep doing the same thing and you're not getting results, like that's, that's obviously massively demotivating. Um, I think the other thing with motivation is, Sometimes just being like, well, what's the alternative? Like, you give up, then you definitely don't get results. And actually, you want to stay lean, fit and healthy anyway. You want to exercise consistently. You want to get your steps in. You want to eat well and fuel yourself. So sometimes I think people put so much pressure on the outcome that that's the issue. And then they're like, I'm not motivated because I'm not seeing this outcome. And they're missing all of the important things that diet and exercise is doing for them, like maintaining their health, their mood, the way they show up, their energy levels, all these really important things that people don't really think about. So I'd consider those things as well. And, and I often think like the question of like, well, what's the alternative is usually quite a good one. Um, thoughts on females taking creatine. Can it help fat loss? Thoughts on females taking creatine? Yes, I would definitely be taking creatine. Um, can it help with fat loss? No, it doesn't directly help with fat loss. It helps you build muscle. So there's no like direct impact apart from you could kind of say that, hey, if you build more muscle, you have more lean tissue, slightly elevates your base of metabolic rate. Maybe you could diet on just slightly higher calories. It's a bit of a push, but like it's not a fat loss supplement. There are some cognitive benefits and there are some benefits in regards to strength training, but it's not going to help you directly with fat loss. Okay, Christine, 
Emma Story Gordon. Since menopause, my sleep has been awful. I follow all the good sleep tips, but I wake up at 4am every day. I'm lucky if I get five hours. My question is, I get so tired in the afternoon as I have been awake for so long. If I have a 30 to 60 minute nap, would this count to how many hours sleep I have in one day? And are there any benefits of an afternoon nap? Thank you. Honestly, you can take a nap in the afternoon. Do it. Like if your job or life or whatever um, allows for it, 100%, like get get on the nap train. Yes, I would be doing that. Uh, uh, hey, Emma, I'm in a deficit for 10 days, eating 1,500 calories. My maintenance is around 2,200, but I'm lacking energy and struggling to exercise. Does it take time to adjust to a deficit? Thanks a million. Um, this This kind of depends on your starting point. So if you're very lean, I'd probably think about increasing your calories a little bit. If you've got quite a lot of fat to lose, it's potentially more psychological or there's often a more obvious thing. I mean, that is quite a big deficit. So you could, if you know that your maintenance is around 2,200, I don't know where you got that number, but it's always an estimate anyway. So it might not actually be about that. But let's say it is. You're in a 700 calorie deficit. You might be feeling a bit fatigued from that. It, again, it's still more likely that you're a bit tired from not sleeping as well, from work stress, from kids, from family, from job, whatever whatever else is going on in your life. Um, but you could afford to maybe bring that up to like 1,700, then you're in a 500-calorie deficit, which might be might give you a bit more energy to exercise. But a lot of this is psychological. So when people start to diet, they're often like, oh, I feel so tired. And you're like, it's probably not the diet, you know? especially not if you're on like relatively sensible calories slightly different if you're trying to stick to like 800 calories a day or something but obviously I don't have all of your stats here so it's hard to say um but if you are feeling really fatigued then I would increase calories a bit you'll still be in a deficit it'll be a slightly smaller deficit but it might be better for you long term in order to get results okay um I'm very perimenopausal and I've often have a gross metallic taste in my mouth which affects the taste of food do we know why this is I don't know exactly why that is um sometimes a kind of gross taste in your mouth if you have very low carb i.e if you're on a ketogenic diet but it also could be I don't know what medications you're taking but it could be related to that as well um but uh we will we will run that past Ruth as well and see if she's got any thoughts on that um okay I'd like to know more about the importance of consuming protein post-workout lots of chat around this and how long after a workout your time frame to get some protein in from my understanding we love protein because of all the goodness it gives your muscles to repair and rebuild but should I really stress about chugging a protein shake or having a meal within 30 minutes of a gym session no um, this does depend slightly on your age. So if you're, I mean, people say like young, fit and healthy, right? But what does that actually mean? Like how young? Depends. But I'm going to say anywhere kind of over 40, what tends to happen is you have this reduction in the anabolic response to both protein and exercise. So protein and exercise stimulate muscle protein synthesis as you age, you develop anabolic resistance because of the downregulation of certain hormones. And that means that your response to that is reduced. 
so you have a shorter time frame. So when you're like young, fit, healthy, like if you eat protein within a two, three, four hour period of your training, it probably doesn't make that much difference. Um, and you're going to do that without thinking about it anyway, unless you're someone who's doing like 17 hour fast or something, right? You're probably going to have your breakfast, your lunch or your dinner within a time frame around that. So you don't really need to worry about it. When you're slightly older, I would be more aware of having protein after. So with a lot of perimenopausal women that I work with, I try and I, I encourage them to get in protein within about an hour after a workout. I'm not like ridiculous about it. They don't need to walk in out of the gym like trying to get protein in. But if they can get either their next meal or a protein shake or like high protein yogurt or something in after their workout, then I would encourage you to do that. It doesn't need to be within 30 minutes, especially if you don't feel like eating within 30 minutes after exercise. Okay, I'm going to end it there. If anyone has any training diet or nutrition questions, fire them away. If 